Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. I'm fantastic. How are I, you? I am also fantastic, but I have had a long day at work and I'm in a weird mood. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A little slap happy, but I've just done too much today. I get that. So I want just want to be told a story. And you know what? That's what we do here. I've come to the right place. I think you have. Um, right. I spent my day researching polar bears. Amazing. Have you ever seen one in person? No, and I hope to never see one in person. Oh, for real? You've oh. never been to the zoo? Um, I actually don't know if I've ever seen one at a zoo, but does that count? I believe that does technically I guess, count. I guess it does technically count. Um, I, I guess maybe at some zoo. I've been to zoos before. Anyway, have you seen one at a zoo? I have at the Detroit Zoo. Oh. But yeah, my mom used to take us there all the time. Oh. But they, they chill. You know, I guess Detroit of all places, a little cold, you know? <laughs> They like it. The polar bears chill. Yeah, chilling out. I don't think I would ever describe hawking Coca Cola. I don't think I would ever describe a polar bear as chill. (laughs) Well, these ones were. And after hearing this story, I don't think you ever will either. All right. Well, this is pre the story, so I get to express my opinion as is. Sure, and that's all right. Yeah. Um, but I actually do mention polar bears and Coca-Cola in the story. So thank you for that. Amazing. Um, little bit of foreshadowing. I mean, it's stupid, but their marketing team deserves an A plus, no? Absolutely. And Charmin. And Charmin. I this forgot about that. Hashtag not spawn. Anyway, not you spawn. Jump, you wanna jump in? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right. On July 19th, 2013, 40-year-old Matt Dyer boarded a tiny 19-seat twin Otter airplane at the Montreal International Airport in Canada. He was about to take the journey of a lifetime, which would start with two flights with seven other adventurous people deep into the Torngat Mountains. The Torngat Mountains are in the Labrador Peninsula on the northern edge of Newfoundland, about 500 miles south of the Arctic Circle. This is one of the most remote and wild regions in North America. It has been described as 9,700 square kilometers of spectacular wilderness. It's a land of mountains and polar bears, small glaciers and caribou, where the Inuit hunt, fish, and travel as their predecessors did for thousands of years. It is one of the last untamed, unspoiled places left on Earth. So Matt Dyer lives in Easton, Maine, in Aroostook County. He's a lawyer and has been for almost 30 years working for legal service corporations and helping low-income people. But most of all, Matt loves the outdoors, including all of its beauty and its dangers. Matt's story begins in the winter of 2012. He had decided that he wanted to do a big trip and had started by flipping through the Sierra magazine since he had been a member of the Sierra Club for a long time, which is an environmental organization that fights for environmental and social justice. But they also believe in getting people outside to enjoy the great outdoors. So as he was flipping through this magazine, he saw an ad for an outing to the Torngat National Park in Labrador, Canada. At that point, he had never heard of the Torngat Mountains, but after doing some research, he thought that it looked like it would be a fantastic time. He liked it because it's very rugged and remote. 
So he decided that the hefty $6,000 price tag would be worth it. Six Gs in what year? 2012. That's some cash. Well, actually, the story takes place in, I believe, 2013, but he saw the ad for it in 2012. Anyway, Torngat Mountains National Park is larger than the entire state of Delaware, but this remote tundra gets less than 600 visitors per year. Unlike more popular parks, there are no roads or campgrounds, and the temperature in the Torngats hardly ever reaches above freezing. So it's very unwelcoming. It's just constantly frozen? It's, yeah, it's cold. It's like right underneath the Arctic Circle. Which means that it's mostly just glacier-carved valleys, stone peaks, fjords filled with whales and seals, lots of caribou, wolves, and of course, polar bears. Polar bears are one of the most fearsome predators on Earth. They may look cute and cuddly, especially when holding a roll of toilet paper or a bottle of Coca-Cola, shout out, but in real life, these animals are expert hunters and are ferocious with it. A healthy male can weigh half a ton, stand at eight feet tall on their hind legs, and possess enough power to run as fast as a horse at 25 miles per hour. Dude, could you imagine a thousand pounds of bear coming at you at 25 miles an hour? No, that sounds horrifying. They are incredibly aggressive and have two-inch claws and teeth that are designed to hold onto slippery prey, and at 1,235 pounds per square inch, polar bears have a greater bite force than great white sharks, Bengal tigers, and African lions. So to put that number into perspective a little bit, the average strength of a human bite is slightly embarrassing at 162 pounds per square inch. So... Its jaws are stronger than, you know, great whites and tigers and bears, oh my. Although it is a bear, so, you know. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Another terrifying fact about polar bears is they're the only mammal that actively hunts humans. So very few animals, or humans for that matter, survive encounters with these arctic beasts. Another few very interesting facts about polar bears is they're invisible to night vision goggles. They literally are evolved to not drink water, like they don't need water to survive, and they also don't get wet. So do you want me to explain? Wait, what the fuck? They don't have to drink water? No. And they have evolved to evade night vision, dude. Yes. Are they spies? Do you want me to explain? This is a CIA plot. (laughs) They're ninjas. They're, I'm not convinced that they're real. I'm convinced that they're agents of the CIA. They might be, just like how pigeons are part of the bourgeoisie. That's right, and they recharge on the phone lines. You're with me now. The, the pigeons are a part of the government. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the night vision thing, they have a heavy layer of blubber and thick fur that keep them hidden from night vision goggles, so you can never see them coming, but they can see you, so that's very fun. Um, So, like, their heat doesn't come out? I guess not. That's wild. Yeah. And most of the fresh water in the Arctic is frozen, so they're evolved to not drink water since they can get all of the H2O they need from the chemical reaction that breaks down their fat. So they literally do not need to drink water. They never drink water ever? I don't know if they never do, but they don't need it to survive. That's insane. Yeah. And they don't get wet. They have two layers of fur, so although they swim in these freezing waters and can for a very long time, like days at a time, they can swim, their inner fur never gets wet. So when they get out, they can just shake it all off and just keep on hunting. 
Dude, evolution is insane. Yeah. It's evolved to not drink water and swim in frozen shit. Yeah. For I'm, days? It's just crazy that these things exist. Like, yeah, this, they're like, built different. The apex predator, you know? Yeah. So that's a lot of information about polar bears, but I found it very interesting, and hopefully you did too. But anyway, 61-year-old Rich Gross and 60-year-old Marta Chase were also on this trip with Matt Dyer and were actually the leaders of the trip with the Sierra Club. Rich and Marta were the two people who made this trip happen. Rich had initially found the spot, and Marta arranged all the transportation and talked to Parks Canada to tell them their plans for travel. They knew that polar bears were a concern, but also talked to Parks Canada about the precautions they should be taking to be as safe as possible, and everything seemed good. Since their trip, the people who go to that area of Torngat Mountains know that polar bears are typically found along the coast, close to the water. The people with Parks Canada now who go to this area wouldn't be caught dead camping anywhere closer than 10 kilometers inland, and even then they said you need to be very, very careful. So the trip with the Sierra Club was planning on camping on this beach in the Torngat Mountains, essentially, and this area that they were planning on staying in is now known as Polar Bear Highway. But at the time, they didn't know where the polar bears were going to be. I mean, they, they probably had some idea of where they usually are, but they didn't know how dangerous this area actually was until after this horrifying event. Rich had seen many bears out in the wild. He'd seen brown bears, black bears, grizzly bears, you name it. But on this trip, he wanted to see a polar bear because he had never seen one. And Matt obviously loved the outdoors, but those with him on the trip were a little concerned because he didn't have a ton of backpacking experience. And this was a very intense trip. I mean, once you're out there in the middle of nowhere, you can't really get help very quickly. So... They were like, are you sure? And he spent his entire winter prepping for this trip by carrying a weighted backpack all over the trails in Maine. That way, once summer rolled around, he would be ready. So the group flew from Montreal to a town in northern Quebec, and then they went to a base camp in this northern Quebec town where they stayed for two days. And during those two days, they talked over hiking routes, emergency protocols, and procedures. But after the two days were up, they felt that the group was ready, so they all got aboard a small float plane out on the water that would take them to their final destination, the Torngat Mountains. And as they descended through the clouds to land on this little water inlet, the group was shocked by what they had seen. Although they had seen plenty of photos of this area, actually seeing it in person was a whole other experience. The wilderness in the Torngats is not the same kind of wilderness that we think of when we think about going camping or hiking through a forest. The wilderness looks like an alien planet, or like a place you would expect to see a dinosaur walking around. As far as the eye can see, there are these huge, jagged mountains that have been carved out by glaciers thousands of years ago, and hundreds of little waterways running through these mountains. And the water is so clear that they could literally see fish swimming from up in the air in the airplane. Whoa. But there's no trees anywhere. It's basically like a barren place. Like, I mean, it's, it's spectacularly beautiful, but it's just unlike any wilderness that any one of them had ever seen. It's just ice and water. And mountains, like big jagged mountains and water and like open spaces. Whoa. So as spectacularly beautiful as it was, it was at the same time equally as unwelcoming to people. 
There's just nothing out there but harsh wilderness and extreme weather. Although that might not sound like everyone's cup of tea, Matt was very excited for this once-in-a-lifetime experience. When they arrived, it was raining a little bit, but it made a really lovely rainbow in the sky as the plane descended, which sounds pretty magical. It was pretty late in the day at that point, so after getting off of the plane, Rich and Marta led the group just off the shore about 500 feet away from where they had landed up to this slightly elevated, mostly flat area that overlooked the fjord and had an incredible view of the mountains around them. And that was where they were planning on setting up camp. Unlike where they had been for the past few days at base camp, this area was nowhere near any forests and was completely exposed and a wide open plain. Matt knew about the possibility of a run-in with a polar bear, but at that time he felt like he'd been lucky if he got to see one because so few people ever see one in their lifetime. And although Rich Gross was also excited by the idea of seeing one, he still took precautions to be safe from them. They always carried flare guns, bear spray, bear bangers, and on top of that, they brought an electric fence with them, which is basically like this line of wire that they run in like a perimeter around the camp that is supposed to set up an electric field that a bear can't get through. Rich and the other trip leader, Marta, had purchased two of these electric fences for the trip. That way they would have one to fix around their camping setup and one for their food about a quarter mile away. Matt had never experienced these electric fences and was surprised to see that they were only powered off of a couple double D batteries, like the ones that you would put in a flashlight. So, Wait, bro, how is two double D batteries supposed to stop a polar bear? That's what he wanted to know, because when he saw that, he was a little skeptical that it would do anything to protect against a polar bear. I mean, those things are massive and determined a lot of the time, you know, they can pretty much get into anything. I would imagine. Yeah. They don't need water. They're monsters. <laughs> they don't need Dude, water. They don't need water. So he was skeptical that it would do anything to protect against a polar bear. But that being said, he was comforted by the fact that everyone in his group said that if you touched this electric fence, it would blow you straight out of your hiking boots. So he's like, okay, I mean, I guess a couple double D batteries can do a little more than I know. So that night, they all sat around the fire, exchanging stories from home and having a great time before they went to bed under the assumption that this electric fence would keep them safe. And that night, it did. However, early the next morning at around 4 a.m., one of the guys in their group got up to pee and saw that just a few hundred yards away from their campsite was a mother polar bear and her cub walking along the beach. Oh no. Matt Dyer got up and saw this mother polar bear walking right down the beach near the water and felt very lucky at that moment because it was his first morning there and he had already seen a polar bear. He felt fine because she didn't pay them any attention and seemed to just keep going. But Rich Gross didn't feel as much at ease because when he saw her, the first thing he noticed was that the mom was pretty skinny. So he was concerned that she didn't have enough food. Later in the day, the group had gotten their day packs together, packed up some snacks and lunches, and went out for a hike around the beautiful countryside. The day was amazing. The views were stunning, and when they were done, they crossed a little stream coming back to camp, so they stopped to take their boots off. That way, they didn't have to get them wet, since, you know, they didn't have to. And while they're sitting there, Matt looked up and saw this huge polar bear just off in the distance, staring at their group. 
Rich said in that moment they did what they were supposed to do when they saw a bear. They all gathered together, made a lot of noise, and pulled out a flare gun and shot a flare at it, which is when the polar bear ran away. Although it didn't go very far. This polar bear ran maybe a quarter mile away up onto a ridge where it laid down and slept for a very long time, but they could still see it. So it was far enough away that they were like, okay, maybe it'll be fine, but close enough that they could actively see a sleeping polar bear. The fact that it wasn't truly gone made them very nervous, but it seemed like they did everything right since the bear had acted the way that they expected it to. But Matt was definitely starting to feel nervous because he had never seen a bear that size. And as the group ate their dinner, it was again staring at them. And this time it was getting late and dark and they needed to go to bed soon. They all went back behind the electric fence and after sitting up for a long time and kind of keeping an eye on it, they decided that the fence was there for a reason and for their protection. So with that, they all went to bed. Bro, I'm thinking like we got to do shifts. That would be a smart call, but they didn't do that. So Matt got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and was relieved to see that the bear was seemingly gone. After peeing, he got back into his tent and he went back to sleep. By that time, it had started to rain and sleet. It was somewhere around 2.30 in the morning and something had woken Matt back up. That night, the light of the moon had lit up the area. But as he lay there waking up, he looked up and saw a huge shadow come over the top of his tent. And he immediately recognized that this huge shadow was two big bear legs. So seeing this, Matt started to yell, and that's when the bear came down on top of his tent. He just lay there, and all he could do was watch in horror as his tent closed down on him as this bear like came down with full force on top of it. And in the next second, the tent was ripped open from the top, and Matt saw two huge paws and arms of a polar bear reaching inside of the rips in the top of his tent coming at him. He threw his hands up in defense and started screaming at the top of his lungs for help as the polar bear started pawing at him. Rich had been asleep at the time, but was quickly woken up by the sounds of Matt's screaming, along with Marta screaming for him to get up as well. So he immediately ran out of his tent. Matt was underneath this gigantic polar bear that was trying to get him into his mouth. And Matt had been covering his head with his hands because he knew that's what the bear was going for, but soon it got him. Which is when Matt felt a vice-like grip on the top of his head, and before long he was flung out of the hole in his tent with such force that the wind was knocked out of him, and he was pulled into the night. Matt said the feeling of being pulled out of his tent was so intense it was like being a cork coming out of a champagne bottle. At that point, everyone had woken up and come out of their tents to see Matt being dragged away by this polar bear by his head. And Marta kept screaming, he got Matt. This whole time, Matt couldn't move, and all he could hear was this crunching sound, which he would later find out was the sound of his skull and his jaw breaking under the pressure. The polar bear, still holding on to Matt by his head, started running. He dragged Matt's helpless body away from the campsite, and with each step, it exhaled this thick stench of dead fish, and he felt its saliva running down his face. Ooh. A voice in his head came to him and said, you know you're going to die, right? And another voice said, yeah, I know. So he's in some kind of, like, calm acceptance at this point that he's literally going to die. Oh my god. I mean, so it's, 
I imagine its jaws are between his like chin and his skull. Just about. His head was a bit at an angle, so his head was almost entirely in the mouth of this polar bear. The only part of his head that wasn't really in its mouth was like one of his jaws, like one of the sides of his face. Ugh. So he could feel the bones cracking where the bear was biting into his neck and skull. Which is when he heard a swoosh and saw a flash. Rich had kept a flare gun loaded and cocked in his right boot at the front of his tent. So as soon as he came out and saw the bear, he immediately grabbed the flare gun and started chasing after them in his underwear. So he aimed the gun at the ground in front of the bear and pulled the trigger. And because Rich had shot off a flare, the bear dropped Matt and sprinted about 50 yards away. I mean, I can't even imagine that scene. He's chasing after a polar bear in his underwear with a flare gun. And then he shot it at it and it worked. Yeah, I mean, that was one of their main sources of polar bear protection is a flare gun. I know, but I'm just imagining the scene. It's insane. He's running after a polar bear with his friend's head in its mouth. So it drops Matt. And he wanted to get up, but he was far too broken and wounded to move. And he wasn't out of danger yet. As he lay there, he heard the sound of the beach rocks shifting as the bear walked closer and closer once again. As he lay there in excruciating pain, he knew this animal was coming back and he started playing dead, but also prepared himself to be eaten alive. Which is when Matt heard his tripmates screaming from somewhere nearby, don't come back, don't come back, don't come back at this bear. They're just trying to act like big and scary, even though they're not big and scary. So Rich shot another flare at the bear and then silence. Matt said, quote, I was bloodied and unable to move and I'm sure they thought I was dead. I could hear someone trying to call for help on a satellite phone. Despite the pain, relief washed over me. Moments ago, I had all but given up. I can't believe I'm alive. I mean, his mentality through the entire attack is kind of remarkable. It was like he was almost at peace immediately. I guess. And now he's just grateful to be alive. Yeah, I guess his brain is just like, we're not going to let you think too deeply about this, you know? Right. We're just not going to feel those feelings yet. Yeah, we're going to hold them in instead. So at that point, Rich realized that they had to go after Matt because he couldn't move on his own. Which was very scary because he and this other man who went out to retrieve Matt didn't know where the bear was or if it was coming back. When the two of them made it to Matt, they realized they weren't going to be able to pull him back. So two other people from the group came out as well and all of them pulled him back and then into a tent. The electric fence had obviously been destroyed and the group had no idea if the bear might come back. But while that was on the back burner, they also had to put all of their energy into keeping Matt alive, which definitely was not going to be easy because they were in the middle of nowhere in this rugged wilderness. All they had was a satellite phone. All Matt could do was lay there and listen to Marta trying to hail someone up on this phone for help. But they didn't plan for a polar bear attack. They knew what they should do when that happened, but it turned out getting a rescue was far more difficult than they expected. They had a bunch of different numbers of organizations for their satellite phone. They had Royal Canadian Mountain Police, Parks Canada, and the number for base camp. And they knew that all of those places had helicopters. So they thought that someone would be able to come out hopefully soon. 
So they just started calling anyone, but it was difficult to get through because it was the middle of the night. I mean, this attack happened somewhere around 2.30 in the morning. So it took them until around 6 a.m. until they were even able to get through to anyone. By that time, it had been four or five hours since the attack, and they were told they'd try to get a helicopter to them and to get Matt out of there, but it was going to take some time. Meanwhile, another member of the group named Rick, who was a doctor, took charge of tending to Matt's wounds, while the others took turns standing guard. But they were terrified because they only had five shells left for their flare guns, and it was dark. So if the bear wanted to be very persistent, they were going to be in very big trouble. Because really, the only thing that prevented the bear from continuing to come was the flare gun. So if they had to use all five of those shells... They were essentially defenseless. Right. I'm just shocked that they don't have a gun. Like, I just imagine, I know this is in Canada and they have different culture and laws, but I mean, if I was going somewhere with polar bears, I'm carrying a shotgun with like 20 rounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, people who go to this area now go there with a person who is carrying a gun and is specifically there to protect them against polar bears. So wait, they have like a soldier escort? Not a soldier. It's like a, a person in, you know, clothes, but they're carrying a gun. person in clothes. Yeah, they're not like in army <laughs> uniform, you know, like. Well, I know, but. But yes, a person with a gun will take you out there and protect you from polar bears. But I don't think they had a gun gun. They had just bear spray and flare guns. Yeah, much. not very like confidence inducing. No. But Matt got very lucky because this was the best group of people that he could have been there with. Nobody panicked or freaked out, and everyone took on essential responsibilities. But another issue was that they all had to be evacuated at some point, and obviously Matt needed his life saved and he needed to be evacuated first, but they couldn't really stay out there either, because now they were very vulnerable. The helicopter arrived for Matt at 8.30 in the morning with a bear guard, who is a person who walks around with a gun and protects you from the polar bear, it's, it's called a bear guard, and also a medic that would take care of Matt. So at that time, Matt was unbelievably still conscious and able to talk. So the medic gave him some painkillers, and Matt kept saying how he wanted to stand up because his back was sore. And the medic said that that was good, that he could still feel his back after getting attacked by a polar bear. And then Matt laughed. <laughs> like, he's in generally high spirits, which is insane. That's wild. I know. At that point, the medic sponged most of the blood off of Matt's head and hair and back, but after that, he went on to look at his throat. The first thing he noticed was the stench. Matt had probably swallowed or inhaled at least half a liter of blood, and it was going rancid inside of his lungs. So oh he, my god, that can happen? Yeah, so he literally smelled like death. Like, the scent of death is what he smelled like, and he was still alive. Wow. They were able to take Matt and the medic on the helicopter out of the area. However, for the rest of them, it was going to be a little while. The weather in the area got bad, which meant that they couldn't send another helicopter. So the group actually had to wait another 12 hours before a fishing boat was able to come to them. 12 hours. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, they had the bear guard at that point, but... Yeah, no, I'd be like, hey, still. can you pop one off? Make sure it works. Yeah. Just... Can you load it up? Take the safety off. Thanks. Right. So this fishing boat was going around nine knots an hour, so it took a very long time to get to them. That seems incredibly slow. It was. 
The group was just scared that they were going to have to spend another night out there because they weren't sure that they would make it another night out there alone. But thankfully, they were taken out of there by fishing boat before that was a concern. So at the ripping speed of nine knots an hour. Yeah, 12 whopping hours later. How many miles per hour is that? For those interested, nine knots is 10 miles per hour. Painfully slow. Yeah, which is why it took forever for them to be saved because also it was bad weather. So they couldn't even really go out and get them. I mean, they're in buttfuck nowhere. Yeah, I mean, that's an understatement. It's one of the most untamed areas in the world. After being put into a medically induced coma, Matt eventually woke up in the hospital in Montreal and there was his wife looking at him, which was a huge relief. The bear had cracked several vertebrae in Matt's neck, severed his carotid artery, and cracked his jaw. He severed the carotid artery? Yes. And he still lived? Yeah, he had a medic. That is insane. I I thought you were done if your carotid gets nicked. I guess the doctor was able to clamp it or something. Um, But he was out there for... Four or five hours before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but one of the people in his group was a doctor. What, did they just pinch it? Maybe. Ooh. Okay. So he had, they severed his, it severed his carotid artery and cracked his jaw. Its teeth had punctured clean through his hand and opened several wounds on his skull that would sustain nasty infections. He had a collapsed lung, a collection of puncture wounds, and a busted larynx that left him unable to speak for several weeks, but he was alive. Since recovering, his voice has never been the same, but he can thankfully still speak, and also his movement has also been affected since recovering, but he can still walk perfectly fine. So other than a few little things, he recovered from a polar bear attack. The people who had been on the trip with Matt also came and visited him in the hospital. He couldn't talk at all and was wired up to everything, but they gave him a Ouija board so that he could spell things out, like drink and things like that. Isn't that crazy? They gave him a Ouija board? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Ouija board in the hospital? Oh, they're not using it that way. He was just spelling things out. Could you imagine them if he got possessed? That would be an interesting twist to this already horrifying story. Spelling like Z-O. No, not the Ouija board oh, no. demon. To this day, Matt keeps in touch with all of the people that were on the trip with him, and they were all definitely bonded by this terrifying ordeal. Matt's group pulled off a remarkable rescue that night, but everyone involved also agrees that his survival was in large just lucky. The podcast Out Alive had a great episode about the story, and they interviewed Professor Tom Smith, who is a bear biologist specializing in human-bear interactions. They wanted to dive into, could this attack have been prevented? So Tom Smith said it isn't unusual for a bear to see a camp and approach it, and actually the group believes that there were a lot of polar bears in the area, and that bear in particular had been stalking them. So this was an attack, like... He had been waiting to attack them and then did. That's scary, man. It is scary. Apparently, electric fences do have a good track record with bears, but the one that Matt's group set up was not enough to stop a determined polar bear, clearly. A determined polar bear can pretty much get into anything. Tom Smith thinks that had the group had a bear guard, like a specific person there for protection against polar bears, maybe that combined with the fence would have possibly been enough, but even that he wasn't sure because the area they were in was just so unbelievably dangerous. 
Parks Canada also did an investigation into the event and said that they did have the safety measures in place, but they just didn't know enough about the polar bear's territory at the time. Since Matt Dyer's attack, Sierra Club does not do any more trips into polar bear country. Following the attack on Matt, Parks Canada has mandated that any organization going into Torngat's National Park has to have a polar bear protection plan in place, and they have to watch a polar bear protection video before they even can go out into the wilderness. And actually, polar bear attacks have recently gone up in the past few years. As Arctic sea ice declines due to rising global temperatures, polar bears are spending more time on land and moving increasingly through populated areas, resulting in a rise in the number of bear attacks on humans in the recent years. Between 1960 and 2009, there were a reported 47 attacks by polar bears on people, ranging between 7 and 12 per decade. But between 2010 and 2014, when sea ice extent reached record lows, there were 15 attacks, which is the greatest number ever recorded in a four-year period. And it's predicted that there will be around 35 attacks by the end of the decade. So it's just going up. I can't get too scared about that because it's less than 50 over years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, You're but like it's still not 15 good. 15 over four years. Three yeah. happen a year. I'm like, I'm more scared of sharks, dude. Well, you're not in polar bear areas, yeah. so of course you're not scared of polar bears. Just don't go there. <laughs> well, people live there. Move. Okay. Stop it. Push it somewhere else. Go somewhere else. But polar bears are also endangered at this point because global warming, so that's just I, I kind of feel bad for them, but I kind of don't, you know? They kill people. Is it not a mixed feeling for you? It is. It's complicated emotions toward polar right? bears. Right? Yeah. I don't want them to go extinct, but I also want them very far away from me and yeah. humans in general, you know? Matt returned to the Torn Gats a year later in August of 2014 and walked around the area where he was staying and had, and had been attacked. He wanted to go back one more time to see the area and get some closure. And while they were there, they saw a polar bear. Great. This time he was in the company of an armed polar bear expert and they kept the proper distance and also didn't sleep there. But like I said earlier, that area is known as Polar Bear Highway, so it's no surprise that they saw a polar bear. Since the attack, he's hiked through grizzly country in the Yukon and he'd like to see Greenland one day, which is also polar bear country. He said, my big lesson is electric fences probably aren't the way to go. In polar bear country, you probably shouldn't be camping, and you should be in a boat or somewhere else. Amen to that. Despite his prolonged physical recovery, Matt came out of the bear attack feeling emotionally strong and grateful for the many people who helped to save his life. He said, It's like I got zapped. I got the anxiety just knocked out of me. It really changed me that way, I think. He also said he's not holding anything back, but he's also not going to go camping with an electric fence in polar bear country ever again. And that seems like the right call to me. And that's fair. Yeah. Rich Gross said Matt is the most resilient person he's ever met and finds it amazing he has such a sense of humor about being attacked by a polar bear. Matt's attitude about the whole thing is really cool because he makes light of the whole situation and regularly makes jokes about it. He doesn't hold any ill will toward the bear that attacked him and if anything, it made him more appreciative and interested in this apex predator. He has a bunch of polar bear swag at home, and actually on his desk at work, he has a polar bear statue. <laughs> 
So people have asked if doing that would bother him at all, but he's not bothered at all by it. But he does realize that everyone is different in how they react to trauma, so he feels lucky that he can see it in a light way. Yeah, I feel like I would have to take a similar path that he did. I would have to joke about it. Yeah, I mean, it's just such an absurd thing to to say. You know, yeah. I got attacked by a polar bear and survived. <laughs> and he has a freaking statue. Yeah. He has merch. He's got so much polar bear swag. He's like, I have polar bear shit everywhere. I think it's great. He even said, you have to go sometime. So I feel like death by polar bear isn't the worst way to go. Like he's made that joke. <laughs> I have a lot of counter arguments. <laughs> Being yeah. eaten alive. Definitely. You, you notice it, you know. Definitely not the way that I would choose to go, but he seemed pretty at peace with it. It actually seems like one of the worst. One of, in my book. But then again, I've never almost been eaten by anything, so um, I can't really chime in here, you know? Keep it that way. I, I would like to. But anyway, that's the story of Matt Dyer and how he was almost eaten by a polar bear. Isn't that insane? I find polar bears very interesting. I did not know that I had a passion for polar bears until today. Well, now you do. Yeah. I don't know. I liked all the facts, too. I, I still can't believe that they just are waterproof by design. I know. And, and they don't need to drink water, and they're essentially invisible. Yeah. Okay, the night vision thing is fucked up. Isn't that crazy? Right? I mean, it's got to be just because of their, their layers of fat. but It's their blubber and their fur. Yeah. That's crazy. Because I'm just imagining, like, SEAL Team 6 trying to, like, take out the polar bears, and they can't. Well, actually, the polar bears would be after SEAL Team 6 because they eat seals. Whoa. Whoa. Good joke. Thank you. We've been floundering all episode. We had to get one in there. We're trying, for Christ. But anyway, that's enough about polar bears. What's your good thing? My good thing is that I have Monday off. Hey, I love Monday off. So shout out MLK Day. Um, I have the day off. So we're going to do a little fun thing. I don't know what it is yet, but... I love that. What's your good thing? My good thing is that we got some really tasty ice cream last night, and we sat outside and saw some lovely twinkly lights, and that is always very nice. You can't beat some twinkly lights. No, you love them. I literally love them so much. We have them on right now in our room. But just because it's not Christmas doesn't mean that you can't have a little twinkly lights. That's correct. Some twinkly lights are not just for Christmas. Like the ones that are just white. They can be even colorful, just not red and green. That's Christmassy. And amen. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like some access to bonus episodes, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or something crazy that's happened to you and you'd like to potentially hear it on upcoming listeners episodes, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast with the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.